Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective. We are indoors at the Levy Nadelberg compound. One of the last times we're going to be. I mean, it's getting, right. we're getting we're close getting, to We're getting doors. close. We're getting close. But Zach went through and Laura went through all the trouble of providing us heat. So we're going to do that. We're going to be indoors today. How you doing, Andrew? Very well. Very well. First of all, before um, I, I, I ask you, you're dead or alive, I want to congratulate you on last week's rant. Because if anyone questions the reach of the Bill Bradley Collective and changing the moral landscape of American sports, question it no more because uh, Phil Mickelson has gotten his teeth kicked in for a week he, he, and it couldn't be better. He buckled under the the heat, the, 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 the storied gaze of one Andrew Harris. And I, I just remember as, as you know, we I was watching uh, – YouTube is sponsor after sponsor was dropping out. And after everyone, he goes, fucking Andrew. I hate that guy. Stay tuned. Cause soon I will be uh, announcing my candidacy is to be the next commissioner of the PGA tour. <laughs> Please stay tuned. That's outstanding. <laughs> so Andrew, what will you be ranting about today? Um, the unfortunate reality of art Bryles, uh, finding a real live coaching job. And just the fact that it's at NHBCU in the form of Grambling state, and um, not good. Not, not good. No. All right. So um, here's your dead or alive. Only one person who played high school basketball in Connecticut has ever been elected to the Hall of Fame. It's from Norwalk, the home of champions like Travis Sims. Not only is he all-time leading scorer for players who played in Connecticut, he's also the all-time leading assist leader for uh, Connecticut basketball high school players. And he set an all-star record, not an all-star game record, an all-star record that was not tied until Isaiah Thomas from Boston was elected, uh, put on the all-star team in 2017. I'll give you one more hint. I think I got it. He is the, he may be the greatest baton twirler who ever lived. And at the age of 16, appeared at the World's Fair twirling a baton. Calvin Murphy. Calvin Murphy is correct. And I'm pretty sure he had it after like your first hit because he glanced at me and winked. And <laughs> I, I didn't, didn't know if that. it was, no, it, you know, that. for me or if it was just, he's like, <laughs> I already got it. I, I already got it. The baton twirling made him second guess himself. Yeah, it did. The baton twirling. Well, the Isaiah I, Thomas I, record is shortest player to play in an all-star Shortest game? player to play in an all-star game. They're both 5'7". Right. Do you remember the guy he knocked out in a fight? Knocked his ass out. No. Seven foot one inch artist Gilmore. Holy shit. <laughs> Gilmore yes. threw a punch at him God. and not Murphy knocked him out. And uh, yeah, so oh. something that may have ended Gilmore's, well, if not his career, certainly his Pride. ability to perform with women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Is what he. We, I, oh, is he dead or alive? I believe he's dead. God damn it. Oh, no. no our first no. loss of 2022. Uh, which means that when he does pass. You have, to, go, you have to send an edible arrangement God, to the it. Murphy family. All right, with a baton gonna, in it. We're going to be keeping a close eye on Calvin Murphy. Oh. <laughs> Put it on the list. He's one of that? those guys. Like <laughs> Murphy's seventy. Like I saw a picture of him. Like yesterday. Like a, a recent picture. He's seventy four. He looks maybe thirty seven. Why did I think? <laughs> why did I think? <laughs> As a general rule, 
if they're a boxer, they're dead, and if they're anybody else, we've they're had alive. a lot of alives. <laughs> we've had a lot of alives this season, so I was trying to maybe like. Well, I haven't, play done, the a, I haven't done a boxer. You got your while. spreadsheet at right. home, looking at the odds. Yeah, exactly. Right. The boxers are all dead. It's like roulette. We got plus one thousand on them being dead. Spread. <laughs> you couldn't go against the odds. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing well. That is good. Um, and what will you be ranting about? I'll be ranting about the uh, heroic actions of former heavyweight champion Vitaly Klitschko and his brother Vladimir Klitschko in the Ukrainian uh, invasion that we are seeing. That's good. Uh, just as an aside, I will be ranting on the uh, Don't Say Gay bill in Florida and the anti-trans bill in Texas. And I will also, later on, mistake Midrash for Rashomon, which is a completely different thing. Very excited about that. So, Zach, there is a very famous episode of The Simpsons, the only Simpsons that has ever been pulled from the air for five years, for a few years, returned in 2006, where uh, Homer goes to New York. I knew it. Why did he go to New York? He went to New York to protest a ticket. Well, it's close. He went to New York because Barty drove his car to New yes. York, and it was and he had a boot on he had a boot on the wheel, <laughs> and, and it then, was accumulating parking tickets at, a, at an incredible rate. What is well? Here's a question for you: What is the drink that he thinks is less disgusting than Mountain Dew? No, no, yes, oh, crab juice, crab juice. <laughs> right. He had a choice of crab juice or Mountain Dew, and he chose crab juice, which shows that Homer isn't really that dumb. Uh, What's wrong with Mountain Dew? It's okay. Sweet right. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, I, I would vote it delicious, personally. <laughs> Ugh, I'll take the crab juice. I don't, I, don't, I don't really drink soda anymore. Crab juice I, does not sound you know, good. I, no, but... You, but, you, you but haven't I've lived on the coast. Mountain I, Dew. I used to fuck with Mountain Dew. You haven't lived on the coast no, your whole life. <laughs> no. Thank God. <laughs> so, um, we're going to cut this short because we're going long tonight. We're going so, long. Because we're talking about not only the Rooney Rule, but... We're also talking about the Ukraine, and, and that's obviously the biggest story of the year. Um, so we'll be back with the Bill Bradley Collective. Flying over the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Now here are your hosts, Andrew, Zach, and Ed. So to kick us off this week, uh, I'm going to be touching on uh, a story that has captivated the world's attention, uh, which is what's going on in Ukraine with the Russian invasion of a sovereign country. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about, which touches on sports, is that Vitaly Klitschko, uh, one of arguably the greatest heavyweights of all time in the last 20 years. He's a top 10 heavyweight in, of all time. Yeah, it, arguably one of the a, a great one of my favorite fighters uh, that I'd ever seen. He he beat Lewis, but he beat Lewis at the very end of his career. So yeah, I, I, he, he's he's in the last twenty years. He's probably a top five heavyweight in the last twenty years. Oh, I'd have him second. Well, the brothers, I'd put second and third. Brother. Um, but Vitaly Klitschko, in addition to being a, a phenomenal heavyweight, also served as the mayor of Kiev in Ukraine, and Vitaly and his brother Vladimir. Uh, this week signed up for the military reserves um, in Ukraine to fight for their homeland and to defend their country from uh, a foreign aggressor. 
um, somebody that, you know, in America, we have no context for this. We've never been surrounded by foreign enemies. We've never been at fear of an invasion in our life. We're surrounded by two oceans. You know, we, we are a very protected country. And in Ukraine, these people have lived in fear uh, for years since Crimea in 2014 of further Russian aggression. And the fact that we have seen uh, millionaires, two millionaires, Vitaly and Vladimir uh, Klitschko, sign up, uh, the mayor of the city, to sign up to defend their homeland and to arm themselves and to stand behind machine guns with weapons in hand to push back uh, the Russian army is really nothing more than inspiring. I don't think there's a mayor in America uh, who would show that level of courage. Maybe Bill de Blasio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, Bill. That, um, what's her name? The, the woman from Boston, right? Oh, Michelle Wu. Michelle yeah, Wu. Oh, yeah. yeah, Michelle yeah. Wu. <laughs> Michelle Michelle Wu. Wu. <laughs> but I, I wanted to get your take on this because what we've seen un, unfold over this last week has really, you know, in some ways been been terrifying, in some ways uh, been inspiring. Uh, the the city of Kiev has not fallen. Uh, the mayor is still in power. The president is still in power. They are in the streets fighting. The Ukrainians are in the streets fighting. Um, what's your take on this? I mean, what's your take on, on Vitaly and Vlad? They don't have to do this. No, and they could easily just leave the Ukraine and take their tens of, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars with them. And you're right, Vlad was better than Vitaly. But, uh, but regardless, um, it, they don't have to do this. And the fact that they are is incredible. And the there's, there's a couple things here. One, the other thing that has been incredible is people taking the streets in St. Petersburg to protest this action, which I guarantee you, never occurred to Putin, just never occurred to him that there'd be tens of thousands of people in the streets of St. Petersburg and Moscow protesting this. Um, the other thing that, there's a couple things. One, for the last 150 years, at least, every time the Russian military has been called into action, they've failed. It, it it is not been yeah they lost in afghanistan the same way we did they've they, yeah they lost in afghanistan they were overrun in the in uh basically the only thing that saved them in world war ii was winter uh <laughs> the only thing that saves them anywhere is winter um that you know even when they went into finland and in those places they struggled now i mean obviously they have enormous advantages and the ukraine cannot survive forever if the attacks continue what's not clear is if the actions of europe and the united states to freeze assets of the oligarchs to separate them from their money is going to be enough for them to say you know what do we care about the ukraine we you know i'm not losing seven billion dollars or 15 billion dollars over this stupid war and putin serves at, at the um as we'll get into later, much like Roger Goodell, uh, Putin serves at the will of the oligarchs. The other last thing I wanted to say that struck me is last night on Saturday Night Live, last night for us, uh, on Saturday Night Live, the New York Ukrainian chorus 
uh, presented the cold opening, which was incredibly moving. And um, the extent to which Saturday Night Live has become kind of the national monitor of what matters in this country is remarkable. I mean, the show that was just based on outsiders, when that happened, like that's national news that they did that. Um, but obviously the Kuchko brothers are tremendous. Uh, is it Melnikoff? Is that? Zelensky. Zelensky, I'm sorry. My, my boomer mind can just not get names right. But Zelensky has been incredible. He's shown a fearlessness I do not think anyone expected. And the Ukrainian people have been badasses. And, you know, there was an anti-war rally in New Haven, Connecticut, yesterday. And I was I, I was following on Facebook, and they were pushing back. No, no, it's, it's not pro-Russia. It's anti-war. No, no, it's pro-Russia. They're there. Russia's in the Ukraine. The war's happening. Right. The, Russia's in the Ukraine. The NATO rallying to their defense, the Ukrainian defense, is a moral action. And to say, yeah, no, we should just stop fighting and accept these things. Well, you know what? Let, let's see how you feel when it's your people. It's, it's easy to throw around words like hero and heroic, you know, kind of freely, liberally, um, in the case of Vladimir and Vitaly Klitschko, I mean, this is like, this is apex heroism, what they're doing. They could be anywhere else in the world with their vast riches, on, and yet they are on the ground fighting for their country, for their people. It's just, it's, 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 it's breathtaking. It's mind-blowing. I want to talk quickly about um, some Russian athletes here. Andrei Rublev is a top Russian tennis player. After his match the other day, um, it's kind of a tradition in tennis, you've, I'm sure you've seen it before, where tennis players will, like, sign the camera. Yep. They'll go up to the camera and sign the camera as they're leaving the court, whatever. Rublev takes his marker, goes to the uh, camera, and writes, uh, no more war, you know. Alexander Ovechkin, in my mind, the greatest Russian athlete that there's ever been, that there ever was, possibly ever will be, whose history with Putin is complicated. That's putting that, putting that aside. And putting it kindly. Putting it kindly, still, publicly, we do, I do not support this. We do not support this. Please end this war. And his peer in the NHL, Artemi Panarin, uh, star ranger forward, just last season, had to go back to Russia because his family was under, uh, you know, was not in the good graces of one Vladimir Putin. The fact that these athletes, um, kind of in the face of serious reprisal, like we evidenced as seen with Panarin last year, and to use, like you said, the, the, the rallies in Moscow and in St. Petersburg, um, I think that fear of reprisal, that fear of retribution, is is kind of is kind of gone, and much to I'm sure Putin's shock that you know the people are not just going to stand idly by. The athletes that represent this country international are, are not just going to stand idly by and let this cretin, this this he's fucking Satan himself, um, carry on with this. It's 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 nice. It's refreshing. I haven't heard much from or anything really from Russian athletes. Lobbying for for Putin, yeah, and, which is and, which is refreshing, I suppose. And and I mean, let's be clear: if Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko were captured, they'll be killed. Yeah. If, oh, absolutely. If Zelensky is captured, he'll be killed, no question. If Kiev falls, should NATO send in troops? I think it would be smarter to send in troops before they fall. I I agree. Um, and I, I think it's time. And I think that, um. That both President Biden and the European leadership has shown 
more gumption than I expected. You know who hasn't? Susan Collins said that after uh, Trump shook down Zelensky and refused to wanted to refuse to give them weapons until he got dirt on Hunter Biden, she said, no, I think he's learned his lesson. And, of course, Trump came out. Said he's a savvy genius. Called him a savvy genius for his actions. Um, I haven't heard Susan Collins say boo. And, in fact, the way Republicans are refusing to address this issue, not all of them. I will never say a good word about Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio has not been terrible on this. He's acknowledged Lindsay, that Russia's been bad. Lindsey Graham. Lindsay, well, yeah, but Lindsey Graham never saw a war. Well, yes. He didn't want to fight because he wouldn't be allowed to but fight in it. But he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah, no, Lindsey Graham's been okay. Uh, he's channeling John McCain. Um, <laughs> but no, but I mean, like, you can't find any any Republicans. Um denouncing Trump for doing this, which gives you an idea of the level of cult that this has become. I mean, this is going to be a long rant. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's the most important story in the world. So the rest of us, you know, Andrew and I have to talk about less important shit, but that's okay. You, you called good. it. Yeah. You won rock, paper, scissors. And you let us in too. So thank you for yes, thank you. letting <laughs> us, you know. Vent, yes. <laughs> so I want to talk about a couple of laws in the second and third largest states in our country, right? New York's now fourth. It's Texas, Texas, Florida, Florida right? Calif- well, it's California, Texas, Florida. right, right. Yeah. And I recognize that I now almost exclusively rant about things going on at the state level, but things going on at the state level affect its citizens far more dramatically than things that go on at the federal level do. And you know, Zach makes his living dealing with state policy. I. And state, I have always been state policy adjacent in my career, and I still am. Um, Texas is passing a law. Well, actually, it's not even a law. Texas has uh, Paxton, uh, Paxton and then Abbott have announced that the state of Texas is viewing the uh, children receiving medical attention uh, or being counseled on medical issues for transgen uh, for being transgender constitutes child abuse. This is a personal issue for me. I know someone who has a child who is uncertain whether they're transgender. They're non-binary, I believe. Right? But yeah, I think that that's how they describe themselves, and their parents have been supportive. Uh not pushing one way or the other so that they can figure this out while knowing they're loved. That's against the law in Texas. It's against the law. Parents can demand that their children not learn critical race theory, but can also but are now being viewed as being child abusers for addressing their child's belief that they're transgender. Um I will be 100% clear as a baby boomer. I don't really understand that. Like, I don't really understand the feeling of saying, hey, I'm not sure if I should be a man or a woman. Like, I just don't, it's not something that's ever happened to me. I also understand it happens to other people. And the fact I don't understand it does not mean it doesn't happen to other people. And yet, Texas is directing DCF 
to take parents like the parents I know and and remove the children from the house because of child abuse uh, because it's a part, part of child abuse Florida which is never afraid to be the worst state in the world um has decided that they will pass a don't say gay bill that says um there is no discussion of anything LBGTQ until people are developmentally ready, but they will not define what developmentally ready means. So that, and because this is, and this is the uh, result of the Texas abortion law, individuals in the community can sue not only school districts, but the teachers themselves for being in violation of that law. That is what happens that's uh, what happened in the uh, uh, Texas abortion law. This become, it has become a right-wing uh, fetish to use the courts to get what you can't get through votes. It is so disheartening to see tens of millions of, children, of people and, and millions of children being put in a place where they are, they are being told the way you are as a human being is wrong. I applaud, you know, I mean, all to me, all of this comes out of the animus that Trump has ju- just dredged out of the swamp and made acceptable uh, in, with his win in 2016. I applaud Joe Biden for saying that he had the backs of these children and would not, you know, and they will stand with them and fight this every, every step of the way. Um, but I just, uh, it's horrifying what's going on in these states. And it's not just these states. 17 states have passed anti-LBGT laws this in 2021, and it's going to be more this year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to break a, a long-standing tradition here where I equate uh, Republican policies with Democratic policies um, because, quite simply, there is no equating these policies with anything um, anyone has ever done or should ever do. Um, this is genuinely horrifying what we're seeing happen in Texas and Florida. And let's be clear, this comes directly out of the evangelical movement. This comes directly out of white Christian nationalism, which is what Donald Trump ginned up. These are people that used to sit in the back of the room and keep their fucking mouths shut because they knew they were wrong. And now they've been empowered. And now they're standing up and asserting their power and forcing their backwards 1930s views on children fuck them that's all there is to say just fuck them uh white male lawmakers uh in florida and in texas and and elsewhere they never uh they never fail to attempt to to disenfranchise to, to disvalue to just denigrate segments of the population um and now when you think it can't get any worse, it's children. It's trans children. In 2022, in the greatest country in the world, and not only tr- look around. It's people that fucked talk, up. It's people that talk about the sanctity of life. It's uh, the hypocrisy. You know, we could do. We could go on forever. Um, it's just it's sickening. Sickening. Speaking of sickening, not on a different level though. Um, Se- separately sickening, but, separately e- sickening. but equally horrifying. Yeah, um, not equally horrifying, slightly less. So it's like Art Bryles and the art of the second chance, if you will. 
We devoted an entire episode to the um, Baylor football um, sexual assault scandals where, where football players campus-wide for years were committing rapes, committing sexual assaults, and they were often covered up by one, the head coach at the time, Art Bryles. The NCAA, I guess, officially rules that Bryles never actually violates any rules per se, um, but he has been basically out of work since his departure from Baylor. Not, I mean, look, I mean, the, what is it, the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL hired him for about a day as their offensive coordinator, and after the public outcry, he was gone. Hugh Jackson, we're going to get back to Hugh Jackson here. Hugh Jackson in 2018 wanted Art Bryles to be the offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. Didn't work out. Fast forward to this week, where one Hugh Jackson is the head coach of the, the, most, the most accomplished HBCU in college football, uh, Grambling State, the home of Eddie Robinson, the home of Doug Williams. And what did Art Bryles and Grambling do this week? They gave Bryles a second chance. They hired him to be their new offensive coordinator. Doug Williams was huge. Doug Williams, um, the first black man to win a Super Bowl with the Redskins or the football team or the commanders, whatever the fuck they're called. Um, A Grambling alum, played under Robinson, one of the great coaches in football history, um, has completely disavowed, basically. He says, I'm not going to stand by and support this as an alum, as a former coach. He's appalled by it. Um, Grambling, of all the places for Art Bryles to get this chance. Again, this esteemed HBCU to stoop and to give Bryles this second chance. Um, it's sad. It's almost like it's... Of all the places, of all the places... Um, of all the gin joints and all the... Yeah. It's got to be grambling, and it's just really disheartening. Um, whether or not... Let me ask you guys this. Is Bryles there in a week? Is Bryles still... the? Co- is there going to be enough of a backlash to get him... You know, to have them, you know, before I answer that, you know, I will say the day after my wedding, uh, when I was in Mohegan Sun, uh, was when I found out about the Baylor scandal. I'm sure my newly betrothed wife, uh, enjoyed the fact that (laughs) on our first day of marriage, I spent the afternoon watching the Baylor sex scandal unfold. Um, but even then, and I still believe it now, uh, they should have gotten the death penalty. And our Bryles should have been gotten the death penalty. <laughs> yeah, our our Bryles should have been banned from coaching mm. ever again. Mm. And what I think is unfortunate is that because Grambling State is an HBCU, which is a more minor football program, you know, Deion Sanders has really amped up uh, the uh, reputation of Jackson State, which is another HBCU, but Grambling State, which used to be more important, has kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, unfor- I, I think he went to a minor program that is going to have minor, uh, a minor amount of outpouring of anti-Briles opinions um, simply because I don't think their football program is big enough that anyone cares about it in that sense. Um, it, it, it is, how does anyone give this guy a second chance? I mean... Do you want, you know, in football, we hear this all the time about the culture coaches bring, the culture of the program. The culture of our Bryles is sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape. Uh, Who wants that? And, and Bryles' reputation as a leader of men was pretty sullied when he got the Baylor job. Like, it wasn't great. And um, first of all, I, I think 
it will require Deion Sanders to condemn condemn it. And I don't think he will. Which, by the way, he shouldn't be put in that position. No, it's not fair to Deion Sanders. Yeah. That's not fair. But the HBCUs have had a um, renaissance of late. There's a basketball tournament now. Steph Curry showed up. LeBron James showed up to talk to the players. Um, when I was a kid, I started collecting football cards in 1971. And the thing I noticed was that all the best players came from Grambling. Like, there were a million really good players. Kenny Houston, I think, came from from Grambling. He was a safety. There were so many good players that came from Grambling. Yeah, because, well, because you couldn't play in the SEC. If you're black, you couldn't play in the SEC. So if you were going to play in the South, you had to play. I don't think you can play in the ACC either. No. And, and... And if you played, if you want to stay in the South, you had to go to, and you were black, you had to go to an HBCU. Obviously, with the integration that hurt those schools, but what the number one or two prospect in the country just signed with an uh, HBCU yeah. school. I mean, it was a it was a defensive back who wanted Deion Sanders to coach him, and I think that was smart. But um, it goes to show once again that the only thing and the NCAA can do is stuff that doesn't matter. Um, it is a disgrace. He was coaching a high school in Texas with about 800 kids. Um, they shouldn't have hired him either, but uh, he doesn't deserve to work. Uh, he clearly oversaw that. I will point out that Art Bryles has been in the wilderness way longer than Ken Starr, who had a larger role in this because he approved everything, has... Because Art Bryles isn't a multimillionaire and Ken Starr is. But no, this is, um, this is, this hurt. Because I was really glad to see the HBCU schools coming back. I, I, I know many people, especially women, that went to those schools. Uh, Kamala Harris went to one of those schools. I don't know Kamala Harris. But, um, but I, I have friends that made the choice. I have, you know, people I know now I had students that made that choice to go to an HBCU school and that choice uh now seems less righteous than it did at the time and that's sad yeah here here um, I hope people have a long commute because we're going long today yeah. fellas <laughs> and, um, we're going long speaking <laughs> speaking of coaching disgraces and the and and how we hire and how we in this case not hire after the break, we're going to revisit the Rooney rule in light of uh, Brian Flores, um, his courageous lawsuit against the NFL here on the Bill Bradley Collective. It was 9 a.m. The phone rang. Commando pest eradication. You saw a bug on your child's apple? Code red, boys. We got a live one. Your home, much like the rest of the world, is infested with unwanted vermin. Commando Pest Eradication will wage war on nature, so you don't have to. Hello, ma'am. Thank God you're here. I saw a bug in the kitchen. You did the right thing, ma'am. We'll take it from here. Everything's going to be okay. Commando Pest Eradication uses only the most lethal chemicals to rid your home of unwanted life. Our team is composed of military-trained professionals that know how to take care of a messy situation fast. After successfully defoliating Vietnam, we've turned our attention to the home front, your home front. 
We've got the situation in the kitchen contained, sir. But I found this. <laughs> Jesus, what the hell is this? That's my daughter. Looks more like Viet Cong to me. Commando Pest Eradication. We kill everything in sight so you feel safer. It's the war on nature, and this time we're winning. So welcome back. So a year or so ago, we talked about the Rooney Rule, um, which we decided. Season, I, season one. Was it? Oh, well, I it's still it a year ago. It's a year and change. It's five seasons ago. It's five seasons ago. Yeah. Still a year ago. Our seasons have changed the length that they it's, are. It's, but it's, it's, yeah. it's a metric year. Um, but um, we talked about the Rooney Rule, which I think we all agreed was not doing what it was supposed to do. And then this year showed up where we saw Brian Flores get fired after winning seven of his last eight games. And leading the Dolphins to a winning record uh, in consecutive years for the first time this century. We saw David Culley, who took over a team that went 4-12. and 12. Is it, it is David Culley, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm, just so, I'm so used to getting names wrong that I just... Uh, David Culley, who took over a team that went 4-12, and 12, lost their only good player in Sean, uh, Deshaun Watson and still went 4-12. and 12. He got fired. And we suddenly got down to one black coach. We now have a second, Lovey Smith, who is taking over his third team in what oh, is the worst taking over for Cully. I, I I missed that. Who's is Lovey Smith? Lovey Smith got the Texas job. Texas oh, I job, that. yeah. But that's gonna be terrible. But for that's him. the worst. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean he's he's also a sixty seven year old it's man. It's also a complicated hire if you follow that process. They were they, they didn't want him. They wanted no, Josh they, McCown. They wanted Josh McCown and, and, and I think the former NFL former Jet great. And I think the NFL and former everybody great. Um <laughs> I think the NFL stepped in and said, No, no, uh, you're hiring a black guy. Um that's exactly what happened. Because that's the worst job in sports. Um it's got it's led by a crazy owner. You have a quarterback who has 34, 32, I think 32 it is. sexual assault allegations that, against right, him. Right. All of them from masseuses. So he seemed, it seems to be a thing. Um, it, it, but he also, yeah, I it, was wondering why the number one search on Pornhub in Texas was masseuses. <laughs> and then it's run by Jack Easterbrook, who used to be the team, what, the team chaplain for the Patriots? Chap- I believe so. Yeah, he was a team chaplain for the Patriots who somehow won endless power struggles in, in, in Houston and is now running a team despite the fact that anybody sitting at this table plus Laura in the kitchen would do a f- have far more right to run the team than he does. You know how he won. He had the Lord on his side. <laughs> <laughs> he had the Lord. Yeah. He, um, he, had the, he had the power of God. It's more like Lord's... Uh, and, appara- ro- and apparently God looks the other way on sexual yeah. assault allegations. It's more like Lord's Royals because he's a rich guy and he managed to f- figure out a way to get this job. It's the worst job in sports. I don't think it's close. Um, and worst job in the three major sports, certainly. So I- he is... You now have two black coaches. So what do we make out of all of this, Andrew? I look at the last two hiring cycles. I don't... Let's look specifically at this one, you know, and you see uh, Matt Eberflus, um, Nathaniel Hackett, Brian Dable, all white guys. Um, 
with various qualifications, whatnot. It's almost across the board, though. Those three and others that get hired. Um, look at who's on the sideline here. Byron Lefwich. Raheem Morris, a former NFL coach. Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles, a former NFL head coach. And a relatively effective coach. It, the, he's not the worst Jets coach I've that comes to mind. He's better than the guy he replaced, and he's better than the guy he took over for. Who we're took gonna, over from? Because Adam Gase took he's over. Better, he's better than Gase. I'm not sure he's better than we're Ryan. Gonna, we're going to talk about second chances, but in the right. case of Bulls, in the case of Raheem Morris, and Raheem Morris was just a defensive coordinator and, and Le- just won a Super Bowl. Leslie Frazier. Leslie Frazier. Who went 32 and 34 as a head coach, so he wasn't bad. The way it's... <laughs> It's just so disproportionate, and it's and, and it just seems we're not getting anywhere here. It's not getting it's not getting better. It's not staying the same. It's getting it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's and, getting worse. And you know we've talked about this, and a lot has happened in a year. You know since we first talked about this. I mean, let's somebody we talked about in the first episode of this was Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy is still without a head coaching job, and is arguably the offensive genius behind the Chiefs. Attack. I mean, Andy Reid yeah. gets all the credit for that, but but and Bienemy gets criticized. The reason that Bienemy doesn't get hired is he, he doesn't call his plays. You know who else doesn't call their plays? The guy for the for the Packers who got a head coaching yeah. job because um, Lafleur called Lafleur called the play. Caller. The guy from uh, Brian Dable doesn't call the plays. Brian Dable called the plays. Yeah. Brian Dable called the yeah, plays. The, okay. But who's the other one you mentioned? I said uh, Nathaniel. Uh, not, oh. Hack, not Hackett. Um, uh, Eber, Matt Eberflus. From the Colts? He didn't call the place. He did not call the place. Frank Reichardt. So you, you've got two white coaches who got jobs. As off, from They moved from offensive coordinator to head coach. And they didn't call plays. But Eric Bieniemy, who runs the best offense of any of them. And yes, okay, Andy Reid is a great offensive mind. So is the floor. So is Frank Reich. Like, these guys are great offensive coordinators, uh, great offensive minds. And yet... Why do they move forward? Why does everybody who ever met Sean McVay move forward? And yet, yeah, Bienemy is on the sidelines. Leftwich, who does call the plays, yeah, on the sidelines. The Buccaneers' defense is dominant. Just very quickly, well, he, he's about, uh, no, he's the offensive coordinator. The offensive, sorry, but but so were he I, I was I was thinking of Todd Bowles. Yeah, Bowles. Before I get called on this, I just I want to correct myself. Ibraflus was the outgoing defensive coordinator with the Colts, but again. Why is he more qualified than a Raheem Morris well, there was than a, a Todd Bowles? It, it goes a, offense and well, defense. There was another offensive coordinator who didn't call plays, plays. Who, got, who, who got the job. But let's touch base on what Flores... You got for the Packers. But, but let's, let, let's touch base on what Flores actually did. He sued uh, the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos. Uh, for And the NFL. And the NFL. Uh, for basically not following the Rooney rule. Um, and, and I'm going to have a take on this in a bit, but, but before we get there... Um, and then he also accused the Broncos and John Elway of being hung over at their interview, uh, which, by the way, is 100% true, right? I think we can all agree on that. It's not Elway, the kind of thing you'd make up. Elway claims that they took a red-eye flight from Denver to Rhode Island, and, you know, that, that, that that's why they may uh, have appeared a bit sluggish. And they didn't um, give a shit enough to wait, wait a day and go yeah. a day early to spend an extra day in the ocean they, state, a beautiful state. They claim that they did it to cater to what um to Flores' availability. That's their claim. That's El that's what Elway says. We we had to it was it was then or never and isn't Elway kind of a known drunk? 
De- Golden Colorado, baby. Yeah, you know, like, the banquet beer. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I'm sure. You drink 35, 40 cards, you can get a little buzz on. He, he looks like a beer drinker, so. He's got the red. He's got oh, the for sure. he's got yeah, Ted Kennedy for sure. face. For sure. Um, but the real crux of of where this lawsuit comes from, uh, kind of centers around one William Belichick <laughs> out of uh the great state of Massachusetts, coach of uh, New England Patriots. As all who, NFL scandals do, it ultimately circles back to Belichick. Who texted the wrong Brian. Uh, I think probably because he didn't have white Brian and black Brian in his phone. Uh, he texted Brian Flores, meaning the text Brian Dable, uh, saying that, hey, I hear the Bills and the Giants, you're their guy. Um, which also begs the question, why does Bill Belichick know who the Bills and the Giants are going to hire? The Gi- he's well, very he, close to the Giants. He's very close to the Giants. He's very close to the Giants. Still. Yeah. Like, it's, he's a friend of the Maros. But that seems well, it's it, it, wrong, it, right? It's, it's it explains yeah. a lot about the Giants' recent success where they where the, the, the coach that they're closest to is New England's coach. Yeah, that, yeah. that says something. But, 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 but really, I mean, you look at this and... You know, one of the accusations uh, Flores makes that he was offered $100,000 for every loss they made uh, when they tanked and that the owner of the G, the, was the owner of the GM of the Dolphins, or the owner, Stephen Ross, the owner, the owner, Stephen Ross, thank you, uh, was basically like very upset that Flores, I don't know, did his job. In you know, one games. Well, you know, I mean, when you, when you hear the criticisms of Flores by Ross, you could tell that Ross has been told by his comm staff, you can't say uppity because his whole thing is he's too intense. He's, he's difficult to work he, with. Well, have you met Bill Belichick? And by the way, you know who else among black coaches is a little intense and difficult to work with? Mike Tomlin. Do you want Mike Tomlin to be your head coach? He's the best coach in the NFL right now because he's gone 15 years without a losing season. And he had the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger playing for him this year. That was as good a coaching job as I've ever seen over the last two years because he didn't have a quarterback that could throw the ball five yards. Before we get too far ahead, but that that is the smoking gun really in Flores' lawsuit is that he becomes aware of the fact that before he is set to interview for the Giants' job, he finds out that they're going to hire Dable, that Dable is going to be the man. They have not yet interviewed a minority candidate, and that is, and he's got the he's got the texts from Billy B to prove it. This this is what I, this is what I wanted to touch on about the Rooney Rule specifically, but it was really shown in this hiring is the tokenism of the Rooney Rule. Like we we have all lived in an affirmative action country where it basically equalizes the playing field. Theoretically. Theoretically. Um, it doesn't always do a great job, but it, it, it is supposed to equalize the playing field where a white applicant is supposed to be uh, treated the same as a black applicant and under with the understanding that the white applicant may have had more advantages, so therefore may have a better resume, you just still consider the black applicant. The Rooney rule is just pure tokenism. All it says is you have to interview one one minority coach. It's a box you check on a form to not get sued. And the fact that the Giants couldn't even check that box, like, how is Flores wrong here? Like, in this entire lawsuit, in this entire saga, 
the- Flores had the smoking gun before anything else happened. He knew he wasn't going to get the job before he interviewed. The Giants exactly. were just checking the box to say, yeah, we interviewed a black candidate. And they couldn't even do that. You know, the idea that, you know, the Giant and, and listen, I think Dayball is an impressive hire. I do, too. I, I do think too. that's an yeah. impressive hire. <laughs> However, honest. he's replacing the special teams coach for a team whose head coach spends 80% of his personal time on special teams. Like, the easiest coaching dig in the NFL is the special teams coach for the Patriots because he dra- Bill Belichick drafts for special teams. It's an easy job. They gave him the job. They would have given him another year despite abject failure if it weren't for the fact that he was so offensive in every single thing he did that you like they couldn't live with it anymore. I mean, running quarterback sneaks from on victory third and nine on victory formation from third and nine while down. Okay, you know what? Okay, yeah, that's your backup quarterback. People win with their backup quarterbacks. It does happen. Like, and by the way, you chose the backup quarterback. Like a bunch of people showed up and you chose that person. So Jamil Hill wrote a Really good article in the Atlantic about not just the hiring, but the firing of black coaches. Herm Edwards, three playoff appearances in five years. And by the way, I do not believe Herm Edwards is a good coach. Legitimately good. But he's replaced by Eric Mangini, who in three years doesn't ever come close to making the playoffs. Tony Dungy, 92 and 33 with the Colts. Uh, Well, with the Buccaneers. And then he gets. No, he he was 92 and 33 with the Colts. But he doesn't get fired from the Colts. No, he retires. Yeah. And he did he get goes, fired from the Bucs, though. He goes with, right, after yeah. getting him a Super like The precipice of a Super Bowl. Like, Gruden, Super Gruden Bowl. takes his team to the Super Bowl. Right, yeah. he takes his team to the Super yeah. Bowl. Dungy is a very good coach. A Hall of Fame coach. Um, Complicated guy. Yes, but... But <laughs> but um, Lewis from the Bengals. 131-129-3 uh, with the Bengals during... During, Dur- during not the Super Bowl run Bengals of Joe Burrows, the Carson Palmer Bengals, where they were two and ten, two well, and fourteen when he took well when he took over, yeah, yeah they were two and fourteen. Romeo Cornell uh, replaces Butch Davis, who was four and twelve for the Browns, goes twenty four and twenty with the Browns, not easy though. And then Eric he gets fired anyway, and they replace it with Eric Mangini again, who goes ten and twenty two. Eric Mangini who has demonstrated beyond the shadow of a doubt that he knows nothing about football, currently an NFL analyst, uh, NFL network NFL analyst. NFL network, yeah. Right. Um, Jim Caldwell. Not only does he go 28 and 24 with the Colts, Caldwell goes 36 and 30 with the fucking Lions, gets replaced by uh, uh, Patricia, who goes 13, 29 and 1. He gets replaced by Dan Campbell, 3, 13 and 1. Or three and thir- yeah, three thirteen and one this year, and people can't stop writing about what a great coach he is. Meanwhile, he has a worse record with a better team than Cully had. Like, there's no way the Lions' roster is worse than the uh, than the Texans' roster. They had like they were starting uh, the quarterback, uh, the the guy with a huge neck, um, Davis, Davis Webb, Davis Webb. They're starting him this year. Third-round draft pick. Meanwhile, the pay, uh, Lions have the number one overall pick and a former Super Bowl quarterback, and yet Campbell gets 
Campbell gets blown every day by the press. They can't stop blowing him because he's a tough guy, and more importantly, he's a white guy uh, because he doesn't come across as uppity. Todd Bowles, you know, he had one playoff win. He didn't. He wasn't a great coach for them, but the, the Jets stunk, and he he made they played hard. I never thought they weren't playing hard. I I Andrew and I were talking about this actually last week. We were talking about Jets coaches, mm-hmm. and I don't think either of us viewed the Todd Bowles era as a bad era. It was a frustrating era because the team sucked, but right. he did a fine job. He certainly yeah. did, and he inherited from Ryan and from Mike Tannenbaum just a team that was they, they went all in in those Rex years. So they inherit he inherited a team that was way over the cap, old, and guess what? His GM drafted terribly that entire run that he's yeah. there. He and was meanwhile, the he bad drafting. He doesn't even get a job. Doesn't even, yeah. Anthony Lynn for Chargers. The Chargers. Yeah, Thirty-four and thirty-two with the Chargers. Meanwhile, people cannot get enough of Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley, the god of, of analytics, who went nine and eight. It's the same record. Um with a sec in Justin Herbert's not his rookie year. Right. And that, you know, a, a better Justin a better Herbert. Justin year. Herbert. And so you see these guys not only do they not get hired for second jobs? Not only do black assistants not get hired, but they get dismissed at a level that nobody else has. I mean, I'll go back to McVay. The Mc, McVay's been a successful coach, so everybody who knows McVay, everybody who looks like McVay, everybody who seems to be the next McVay gets, well, we got to go with that. As opposed to saying, look what Lewis did. Look what Dungy did. Look what Mike Tomlin's doing when you have a black head coach in a league that's seventy eight percent black, we should we should view this as a way to go forward. Nobody does it, and the reason is race, and the reason is billionaires don't want to be around black people unless they're bringing them a drink or carrying their golf clubs. Yeah, I mean it's to say the Rooney Rule has been a failure. Uh, I think would be an understatement. It was designed to fail, yeah. and it succeeded. And and they and they've even made adjustments to it, which because now you have to have an in person interview. Oh, well, right. You, you don't have to show up sober. That, yeah, no. Well, yeah, I have an in person interview. That that changes everything. Um, I love football. Football's probably probably my favorite sport. It's definitely the sport I watch the most. But man, they they really make it hard to watch. They do everything in their power to make it hard for 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 people to watch. Yeah, you, you you bite your knuckle, you bite your lip, and, and, you, and you and you carry on, and you draft your fantasy team, and so forth. It's yeah, it's 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 a troubled environment to say the least. It's a dented shield. So the say. shield is dented. That's so. Sure. Will this lawsuit do anything? <sighs> the cynic in me says the NFL will just settle and Flores will get a bunch of money and then we'll never hear from him ever again. But Flores refused to settle. There is a, personally. The, the, there is the hopeful side of me, which thinks um, this is going to expose the whole bunch of them. And we're going to get to see the nitty gritty ins and out and racism that is inherent in the NFL ruling class. And if we get to see that, I think we will see a change because at some point, it becomes undeniable. It becomes past the point of arguing about, and it becomes, this is reality. And I, I think this lawsuit could potentially get us there. 
if the hires in uh, in Baltimore and in Minnesota of general managers of execs with of uh, uh, both minority minorities, both with sort of non traditional football backgrounds, putting the lawsuit aside for a second, nothing is going to change if the front offices don't start to have more of a uh, a a makeup that reflects that of the players on the field. That's where it starts. Um, if if this lawsuit brings about rule changes, policy changes, where for, uh, organizations are forced to be more, you know, extend the root, extend, you know, it starts up top. You know, I, I don't mean to kind of ramble, but it's 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 all about putting the people that make the hires, the GMs, the football people in these in these organizations. They need to. Do they make the hires? Yeah. Owners make the, the owners make the, I mean, Steve, Stephen, well, Stephen, the, oh, Stephen Ross will pay no consequence for this. See, he, if an owner is going, I'm sorry, I mean, interrupt. If an owner is going to approve the hire of a minority GM, minority head of, of personnel, I believe that he would have a voice that would be more. If if if, if he's willing to do that, then that owner, I assume, would be more willing to hire a minority they, head coach. But they weren't. That didn't happen. Both coaches ended up hiring white guys. Both both teams ended up ha- hiring white guys. Well, the enemy well, Baltimore, but Minnesota, yeah, yeah, right in, yeah. in Minnesota. Yeah, that right in, in Minnesota, the enemy and Chicago also hired. Well, Chicago hired Eberflus, right? Yeah, right. So they they also hired a a, a, co- a GM of color. Um, and of course, Flores's GM was a GM of color, but he was a likable black man. He understood his place. I mean, you listen to Ross. And that's exactly the the. It's not exactly the language, but it doesn't take. It's damn close. It doesn't take in, right. You don't have to interpret it to get there. Yeah, there's no reading between yeah, the lines. It's, it's, right. It's it's what uh, what's it when Hebrew uh, Ramash Ramashad is when Hebrews uh, take the text and, and kind of riff off it. Uh, rabbis do it. <laughs> there's a there's a term for that. They'll know next time. I didn't think it would come up at the podcast. Well, well. Yeah, thank, thank God, there's no Jewish people around to ask that question to. You know, I can't have Laura, Laura's a mere feet away, yeah, but she would she would have run in if she was listening. But I do feel like that with this lawsuit, especially you know, credit to Mike Tomlin, he hired Flores. Flores has a job; he's a linebacker coach, the most overqualified linebacker coach in human history. But he's a linebacker coach, senior defensive do, assistant. Do you think? Def- do you think Flores gets this job if Tomlin's not the coach? No, no. This is a, this is a Mike oh, Tomlin. It, it, yeah, this is a Mike yeah. Tomlin. I agree. This is, yeah. this is Mike Tomlin saying, "I'm hiring the guy I want. Go ahead and fire me because you can't. You can't. Fire and, who, and who approves the hire? The namesake, Rooney himself. Right. Yeah. And you know, so, like, but I do think that there's a couple things here. One, all of those emails that the NFL has protected from the Washington team, from Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen, by the way, who replaced Romeo Cornell as a coach with the Raiders and went like 6-28 and 28 or something. All of those are going to come out because it's going to be part of discovery that you're going to suddenly see, all like if, if he goes forward with this, you're going to suddenly see all of these emails, all of these correspondents have to come out, and they're not going to be able to hide from that. And the fall guy, in my opinion, will be Goodell. If, because Goodell's, the reason they pay Goodell, 
they pay Goodell $44 million a year is because he shows no moral leadership, which is what they want. And because he shows no moral leadership, they can make as much money as they want as the owners because you can't lose. No, no matter how stupid you are, you can't lose money with, with an NFL team. Look at Mark Davis's haircut. Tell me that's a guy who should be running a billion-dollar business, but he's a billionaire because he has a billion-dollar business. And also, Mark Davis is probably one of the most progressive owners in the NFL. The, the fam, his, his, the fam his dad was. His, dad, father. his father. His father was. Yes, his father was impressive. His father was more I, progressive, yes, but outlaw. Yeah, his father like, went against kind whatever, of a wild what, right, whatever, whatever, counter... whatever the other owners wanted, he was that against. Was, yeah. And the other owners want racism, so he was against it. Mark, Mark Davis likes Ovaltine. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will say goodnight. For the Bill Bradley Collective. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe on all podcast platforms and give us a like on Facebook as well. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.